Welcome to the Fontcast. Brad Nowland here, joined by Beecher Townsend and Brad Stansfield. Hello, everyone. Hello. Good morning. How are we, gents? Very well, what thank you. What a fantastic sunrise it was today. It was glorious. <laughs> it's been a big 10 days since the last Fontcast. Firstly, the Liberals' victory has been confirmed. Madeleine Ogilvie has won the 13th seat. Brad, was this the convincing win the Liberals were hoping for? It was, and what I was about to say before Beecher interrupted me was that the uh, glorious sunrise over another four more years of the enduring Liberal majority government empire uh, would be a very warm sight to Premier Gutman's eyes this morning as he drives out to Government House. Right, move it along. Madeleine Ogilvie, would she be relieved, Brad, to have won that 13th seat? Well, she would be indeed, as, as would the government, and I do want to just point out for the record that the last font cast, uh, much to the doubt of some people, I did confidently predict, uh, none of you guys I should hasten away, but others, that the Liberals would win 13 seats and that 13 seat would be Miss Ogilvie and indeed it did come to pass. And look, the Libs will almost certainly, in fact I think will certainly win that 13 seat, it will be majority Liberal government and in fact I think there's a good chance that the 13 seat will be one Madeleine Ogilvie. And I think... It is quite an extraordinary result, personally, for Madeline that she has won a seat as a Labor Party candidate, gone to the crossbenches, then recontested as a Liberal candidate and been re-elected. That is quite extraordinary that the voters have elected her back in those circumstances, I've got to say, so all, all credit to her. I think it's uh, reasonably emblematic of where we sit in Tasmanian politics at the moment and uh, I'd have two reflections about that. One is that uh, if I was in the Labor Party, I'd be a little bit um, upset that I booted a person out that's effectively given majority to the Liberal Party, firstly. But secondly, I think... I don't think there's many mirrors down at um, Labor House. Well, I'm not sure about that. But the second issue I'd also reflect on is the fact that um, it's allowed government to have four more years in majority. And there's probably a third point to add to that as well. They've let Christy Johnson into the House. And as we've seen with Andrew Wilkie, that seat could well be hers for as long as she wants it. That was the seat that Labor would have wanted to have won. And it makes their path to victory at the next election a whole lot harder because they now have to find an extra seat from somewhere else. Exactly right. And I don't think people understood on the night... I think they're starting to understand now just how significant this result is and what it does mean for Tasmanian politics, not just four more years of the Liberal majority government, but where Labor is now positioned in the scheme of things. It really was an extraordinary result for the Liberals and I was just reflecting last night actually that with the election of uh, Nick Diagon into the upper house, there would now be, by my calculation, a PLP of 17 Liberals, which would be in fact, is more than they had when they won government with 15 lower house seats in 2014. So after seven years in government, the Liberal Party has expanded their numbers in the parliament. Well, yeah, it's interesting that you make that point. Brad Nowland, you circulated a, an article from the New Statesman uh, a few days ago written by Tony Blair just talking about the parlous state of sort of centre and centre-left politics throughout the world. And, and really, when I was talking a little bit a, a moment ago about the sort of Madeline Vote, the emblematic nature of it being that, you know, where people once sort of sat in the centre-left and they now seem to be sitting in the centre-right or they seem to be sitting in that space and Madeline sort of managed to catch that middle ground and catch that middle ground in a very disillusioned Clark. It's quite interesting. For me, it is an historic 
election victory. There's no doubt about it. Three majorities on the trot for the Liberals. I don't think we've ever seen it before in Tasmania. Tasmania's always been considered traditionally a Labor state and it was a stunning victory, no matter how you look at it, regardless of your view of COVID. But it didn't come without its barnacles, as it were. Terry Brooks being one of them, doggedly pursued during the campaign, clearly an issue, and in a way, as unfortunate as his personal position currently is, because clearly there's some real challenges there for him and my heart goes out to him in that sense, he has, by sort of ending up in the situation he is and resigning from the government, put the government in a better place moving forward. It's a barnacle they no longer have. What's your view on uh, Adam Brooks, Brad? Groundhog Day, that famous movie from when, when was it? Back in the 90s or something, 80s. Right? 80s, 90s? It reminds me a little bit of that, the way that that issue has been grabbed onto by uh, some of the um, defeat denialists on, on the left um, in the Labor Party, indeed. Some journalists who have been using this as an issue to try and claim somehow that the Liberals' victory was tainted or illegitimate, just like in 2018 they blamed pokies in 2014, they blamed the GFC, even though that happened four years before that. At the end of the day, this issue, Adam's personal circumstances aside, had no bearing on the result of the election. Uh, The Liberals would have won three seats in Braddon without Adam Brooks. In fact, arguably, the controversy around it actually hurt the Liberal campaign and actually made it harder to to win the election. Possibly even in the South, where, as I recall, the Mercury, for example, had it on the front page um, the day of the election. And also his personal vote declined significantly this time round, which is just a perhaps a broader reflection of general decline in support. Well, why pre-select him then? Well, that's a matter for the pre-selectors, isn't it? But, I mean, if you're suggesting, like, some people that that somehow people knew that Mr Brooks's Queensland house was going to be raided by the police on the Wednesday before the finalisation of the vote count on Thursday... No one knew that. No one could know that. Yeah, but a lot of people knew he had baggage. And if what you're saying is true and that, you know, the Liberals didn't need Brooksy to win the three seats they needed in Braddon, why go through the pain? Well, a- again, uh, nobody knew, to the best of my knowledge, the, the circumstances that have come to light since the election. All right, then. Uh, let's move on to the Cabinet reshuffle announced yesterday. Cabinet will be sworn in later on today at Government House, and I guess the most interesting move out of it all was uh, the Deputy Premier, Jeremy Rockliffe, putting his hand up to take on health. Good move, bad move? Well, from my point of view, I think it's great to see Jeremy taking on health. I think he'll give it a red-hot tilt. I think he'll give it a red-hot tilt for a number of reasons. I think, uh, as you guys would know better than me, Jeremy was a very successful shadow health minister in the lead-up to obtaining government. I think he understands it. And I also think because he's at a later point in his career, he has the ability to go in on the basis that he's not going to worry about losing too much political bark, as it were. He's going to go in with a view of trying to get some decent outcomes. I've often remarked, and and perhaps I've said it on Fontcast before, you know, if there were simple fixes to health, we would have done it years ago. The reality is it's a very complex and difficult area. It's something that most of the community, if not all of the community, are very keen to understand and want to have a view on. And uh, I wish Jeremy all the best with the health portfolio. Brad, your thoughts on Rocky? 
Uh, well, on the cabinet broadly, I, I thought it was a a smart cabinet that was an, announced yesterday. There was some quite sensible changes in it. You know, if I were a premier, I'm not. Um, I wouldn't have kept treasury because I think that's a very very big workload. But we all know that Peter's a, a details man, and it's not probably surprising that he wants to keep his hands on the levers of everything that's happening with inside the government. Uh, the move of Rockliffe Jeremy to health. I don't know, but I expect he asked for it rather than it being given to him because he's that sort of bloke. And the thing about Jeremy is a bit like Will, he's a real consensus operator, consensus politician. You know, I mean, he had very, very good relationships with the uh, unions when he was as education minister with the AEU, despite the fact that they ran an appallingly dishonest um, scare campaign and are now bizarrely claiming that the government's got no mandate to implement the TAFE changes. Sorry, an aside. Um, and I think that um, he will bring that same consensus style to health and that can only be a good thing. He'll have good relationships with the nurses' union, the doctors' union, all the other stakeholders, and that should result in improved outcomes, I would suggest. The other thing which I noted, which I thought was quite clever in the Cabinet, was the combining of housing with construction and thereby reframing or attempting to reframe the housing debate into one about supply. Now, it is important to remember because no doubt some people will seek to rewrite history that before 2018 there was no standalone housing portfolio. The other aspect of that is Michael Ferguson got the Royal, pulled it out of the ground. It's great to see sort of I look at it and go, well, he's the Minister for Hard Hat and um, hopefully that means that they'll be able to, you know, get this infrastructure spend, get this housing delivery done and, and get it out there as quickly as they can. One of our regulars on Foncast was David Killick and he raised a number of times that the government had been big on promises but needed to really step up in terms of delivering. Do you think this is a, a term all about delivering and how do you think the government will go about doing that? Well, from my point of view, it's got to be about delivery. They're a third-term government and no matter what colour you are, when you're a third-term government, you really do get to the point where you start to struggle So if they can't get rungs on the board this time round, then they will really face significant challenges at the next election. Brad, your thoughts on delivery? Well, clearly the changes to the Cabinet are largely about addressing those key pressure points and making sure that they are dealt with, no doubt about that. One point I will add on the Cabinet, not that I'm a person that counts these things, but I know some people do, four women in in the Cabinet of nine, I believe, happy to stand corrected, but I believe that is a a record number of women in a Tasmanian government cabinet. Very good. Let's move to the uh, to the Labor Party now. While the Liberals have been getting on with the job of governing, Labor is getting on with the job of trying to tear themselves apart. They're set to spend the next few weeks having a leadership tussle. It's the first time since they changed the rules that Labor will poll its rank-and-file members and state conference delegates to determine the leader. So is this democracy at work or just another destabilising Labor mess? Uh, Well, my view is it's the fight that the party needs to have. They need to have a robust discussion. Rebecca White was a competent leader, admired by many, and clearly some of the decisions that were made, and we were only reflecting on a decision earlier regarding the decision to not uh, have Madeline within the party, have cost them and cost them dearly. So I suppose from my point of view... Shane Broad, protégé of one Paul Lennon, clearly has put his best foot forward in an attempt to make a point. 
And all I can say is I hope that the debate that's held within the party is a healthy debate and really the party realises that if they are to successfully implement good policies and create a modern Tasmania, they need to be in government to achieve it. So I suppose from my point of view, I'm hoping to see a robust debate. I'm hoping that the outcome is that we see David O'Byrne as a leader and that he has a party that is united behind him and that they can go forth and become a competent opposition, hold this government to account and place themselves for government in the future. Mm. Brad, why do you think Shane Broad's running? Well, people might be surprised, but I actually agree with most of what Beach has said here. Shane Broad is the only bloke who's talking any sense in the Labor Party and the only bloke that's talked any sense for the last seven years in the Labor Party, quite frankly. The Minister for Finnish Employment... Well, he doesn't always talk sense, but at the moment he's talking absolute roll gold, common political sense. Sure, uh, as you mentioned, Beach, um, um, some of it's um, perhaps coming to him um, from former Premier Lennon for him to then push out into the public domain, but whatever, it is common sense. Um, and you've now got, as I understand it, the right is back, back in town. Can I just point out, sorry to interrupt, Brad, can I just point out, Paul Lennon, in terms of retail politics, Paul Lennon was the last... Labor leader to win an election in Tasmania, 2006. That's right. Yep, and great work. I've got a lot of time for Paul Lennon. I suppose the point I would make is that Shane needs to speak on behalf of Shane. As I was saying, so the, the right's back in town, as I understand it, in the Labor Party, there's now an, an ascent group of four people. Mr Broad, who was formerly unaligned, as I, but has now formally joined the right, as I understand it. Jen Butler was the only right member. Dean Winter, self-obviously, and I also understand, Beach, your good friend um, Janie Finlay is also a member of the of the right in the Labor caucus now. I, I think I've met Janie once, so I, I can't <laughs> talk on that. But look, the reality is, look, you know, Labor have to confront the fact that they lost again. They lost badly. Elections, as we've always said in Tasmania, are won in the north, so it happened again this time. Labor did not win. They won one booth north of Kempton. St Mary's, that is extraordinary, you know. That's a remarkable stat and pretty sobering if you're a Labor supporter. Well, I wonder what Michael Polly's thinking at this particular mm. point. Mm. Don't know. But, you know, the Liberal vote was 60% in Bass and Braddon and has been for the last three elections. So, of course, they've got to do something different and, you know... And not only well, that, Labor's now hemorrhaging seats in the South to independents. So mm, exactly. It's making the job a lot harder. So they're being swe- squeezed from both sides, mm. aren't they? Mm. I mean, so I, I would expect, I don't really understand Labor Party politics, but I would expect Mr O'Byrne will win the leadership ballot, but the debate will drive him further to the centre, I think, than he would have otherwise been as leader, and that can only be a good thing for the Labor Party and for the state, if you ask me. Well, my experience with David O'Byrne is he's always been driven by belief, but he's always been a pragmatic politician. That was the case when he was a minister, and I see no reason for that to change. So I think... Under David O'Byrne, the Labor Party has a fantastic opportunity moving forward. Mm. All right, some breaking news this morning. Sue Hickey has, um, has given up the knitting and has decided to put her hand up for the mayoral robes of Glenorchy. What do we think about that? Well, Brad, as they say in the classics, or I think it might have been in Casablanca, uh, Captain Renault is shocked, absolutely shocked about this turn of events. Uh, you know, Miss Hickey's a bit like um, former Senator Brown, not a professional politician, but a professional politician. <laughs> my, my, and look, my understanding is, despite what might have been said prior to the election by Miss Hickey about taking up a new career in knitting, 
it has always been planned that should she lose her seat and Christy Johnson win effectively her seat, that Ms Hickey would run for Glenorchy Mayor. So I'm completely unsurprised by this turn of events. And Sue Hickey did poll very well out in some of the Glenorchy booths, so hardly a shock there. Do we think she'll win? Is, is this early entree into the Glenorchy race an, an attempt to scare off potential challengers? Well, I suppose it'll, it'll depend whether the new member for Clark endorses the former speaker and uh, says that she's the person to lead. That'll be an interesting thing Probably to not, see. Probably not particularly likely given the, uh, the words that were written in the paper this morning allegedly from Ms Hickey about uh, the new member for Clark's record as mayor. I, I think really it depends who else runs. That's mm. really going to be the, the test, who else is going to be in the field. Mm. All right, and finally there was uh, another election on last weekend and it was for the Liberal pre-selection for the Senate ticket leading up to the next federal election. Brad, what did you make of all of that? I wasn't surprised that uh, Senator Dunham was elected number one, as I think I said on the last frontcast, I expected him and Eric to fight out the first two spots and Wendy to be three. So, yes, I was surprised that Eric uh, ended up being in the number three position. But, as they say, you know, live by the sword, you die by the sword. Thought speech? Well, I suppose, uh, you know, I won't be the first to make the comment. It's a bit of a changing of the guard, clearly. You know, Jono... As the lead, the number one candidate, the most senior member within the sort of ministry, as it were. So good luck to him. Eric's been a good member. He's always, uh, in my experience, many years of working as a lobbyist and so on, he's always taken my phone call. He's always got back to me, so I have a great deal of regard for him. But that's it. I'm glad to see that Jono's there. Um, Wendy got the number two position. I'm told that's a victory for the North, so that's good to see. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we go now and see whether that changes the dynamic in the lead-up to the election. And the number three spot this time around is eminently winnable for the Liberals. Jackie Lambie isn't up this half and so there is nominally a seat there for Liberals to win. I predict, I predict, and I don't know, but I predict that Jackie Lambie will enlist Craig Garland to her team to run for that seat. And should he do so on her colours, I think he will give it a real shake. He'll definitely, if he does run with Senator Lambie, definitely do that, particularly up in the far northwest coast where they've got a strong base. I think you're right. It'll be very interesting to see the fight for that position. All right, we'll have to uh, keep a close eye on that one. I think that's all we've got time for for this episode of the Fontcast. Brad Beach, thank you very much for your time as always. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Foncast is produced by Icon Media, directed by Sam Icon, and engineered and produced by Brendan Lenahan. Until next time, carry on. Listener.